Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Oh, we're live. <laughs> How exciting. You got to do the normal intro. Yeah, that's true, because it becomes an actual podcast. So if you're not live streaming, you just think I'm an idiot. But anyway, welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon. I'm joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. and We get to talk about a very exciting, some might say historic football game. Some might call it historic. Some might call it a drubbing. Some might call it um, pure domination. Some might call it... The worst loss in Middle Tennessee's history. Um, we'll call it historic, though. Some might call it not good enough. No first quarter points. So I mean, that's that's true. Something to work on. You watched you you just watched the game. I did um, just watch the game because I you yeah, weren't able to I, watch it live. I just got that time machine that I've been saving up for, and what a thrill! But your reaction to the game. Um, was hilarious where you just like in the first quarter you were like oh they've missed some deep ball like just seeing your reaction as you watch the game like getting live tweets from it because we weren't able to tweet live on Saturday or not tweet but text each other live on Saturday yeah. it was kind of hilarious watching your reaction to the game yeah and we'll dive into that soon do we want to do a three-notch plug first we got to do all things three-notched you hit us with the three-notched breakdown Three Notched, they're working with us this fall. It is our favorite brewery in Harrisonburg. They're also in Charlottesville and other locations in Virginia. But visit the Harrisonburg Tap Room. Sounds like they have some exciting stuff going on this week, which you can see on the bottom of the screen. Uh, but they're what they've got Oktoberfest beers starting Friday. Uh, every Monday is a Minuteman Monday. So you can get $3 Minuteman pints. So I need to get to Harrisonburg on a Monday because I, I love those guys. And then Wednesday, game nights. $5 flagship pint. So some cool weekly deals that they're running there. I'm sure we'll be there at some point, hopefully a couple times this fall. So check them out. Yeah, for sure. And as always, Bet Online is a proud sponsor of JMU Sports News Podcast. And Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way for you to wager on all of your favorite sports contests. Ooh, cannot get that word out. And events. When, with first-to-market odds and lines, find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and Bennett, even, even golf. golf. Even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE. That's promo code B-L-E-A-V-50. Um, it's right there at the bottom of the screen. If you're watching the live stream, if you're listening to the podcast, it's not at the bottom of your screen. Uh, use that promo code to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. It's where the game starts, folks. Bada bing, bada boom, baby. And last but not least, we got to do our Patreon plug. Yep. Check us out on Patreon. We have slowly but surely adding a lot more content over there. Every single few days we're adding stuff. We did all of our positional breakdowns last week. Today up on the Patreon went up the th two major takeaways from Kurt Signetti's Tuesday's press conference. 
Normally it's going to be three major takeaways, but this week all of the focus was on Todd Santeo and what he did. So it was almost like pulling teeth. Um, it was almost like pulling teeth to try and find two, but we got two takeaways from that. We'll talk about it a little bit in this, but subscribe to our Patreon. Only $10 a month, uh, and that's JMU Sports News on Patreon. Yes, sir. All right, so let's dive into it. 44-7 to over Middle Tennessee. As you mentioned, I have just watched the game, so I've got some, some fresh takes for you. But I want to start with you. Hit me. They win this game in commanding fashion. The spread had gotten down to under a touchdown by the time the game had kicked off. Yep. Surprised by the level of, yes. of domination? 100%. I remember talking about it every week how we were like, I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I think at one point when the spread was seven, seven and a half, I was saying I'm all over middle Tennessee. Cause I thought JMU would win this game, but I thought it would be a lot closer. And that came through, I think in our score predictions that we shared on the round table and um, a lot of other stuff that it's clear we both were wrong, but I was, I think more wrong on it where I thought the defense was going to get shredded and the offense was going to play a great game. Um, I'm thoroughly shocked in the best way possible that JMU dominated in the way they did. You almost got a JMU score correct in your prediction. You had what, 45, 42. Yeah. I was just so off got, on the middle Tennessee. You were just a little off on life. the other side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was certainly surprised. I think it was a, an impressive performance, maybe better than I expected on both sides. Um, but I kind of the main thing that, that really jumped out was like, Hey, they're way more athletic at what appears to be every position than middle Tennessee would surprise me a little bit. I sort of expected it to be less of an athleticism gap and less of a talent gap. Um, kind of starting with quarterback, like Santeo sort of looked like a beefier guy. Um, you know, no offense to Chase Cunningham. Well, he sort of, he looked kind of like scrawny. Like it just, none of the positions looked like they were at the same level in terms of the athletes. Did you listen to Signetti's press conference from yesterday? I listened. Yeah, yeah. Where he kept mentioning Senteo's weight, like with a smile. Yeah, he brought up the 220 a lot. <laughs> like every, like, and you just said Senteo looked like a big guy. And it just reminded me that Signetti was so happy. Like every time he'd say 220, there'd just be this smile that crept onto his face. He also kind of took some digs in like the, the Tuesday presser, like minor digs, but he was like, you know, when you play better teams and you can't do that kind of thing. It was like, Oh, like <laughs> he was like, I kind of expected it to be harder, which I think was something fans expected and probably yeah. middle Tennessee fans too. Uh, but it just felt really easy throughout, even in the first quarter. So like in the first quarter they had one drive. I think it was the drive where they ended up having the field goal blocked. But he had the first Thornton, drive of the game, yeah. Yeah, he had Thornton open, Santeo did, for what would have been a touchdown. He missed him. He overthrew him. He had some passes early that he was missing, some reads he was missing. And obviously the block field goal was pretty sloppy. But they were making mistakes. And then they just, once they stopped making some of those mistakes, they started to score with a little more consistency. So I don't know, really from early on, they just looked like the better team and it sort of exponentially you know, looked more like that as the game went on. They just sort of kept building and and really turned to what was a close game initially into kind of a beatdown. Were you surprised at all, though, by how dominant the defense was? I think at first, I especially thought they would struggle a little bit in the secondary. I really liked Jordan yeah. Swan. Like Jordan Swan at corner 
looked a lot faster than I assumed he was or thought he was from watching last year. He just looked like a better player. Uh, Surratt was really good, like really good. Yeah. Um, especially a punt return rate. He did some really nice yeah. things. But like the secondary looked pretty fast, um, maybe faster than I expected, which was impressive. Um, they were pretty sure with tackling the linebackers. They talked about all that young talent. They were both really good. And then the defensive line, man, super impressed by the defensive line. This- I thought they were – I thought they were really good. They're deep, so they have a bunch of guys. But, like, the one play, it was the Isaac Ukwu sack that made all the highlight packages where, like, yeah. they try to chop block him. He hurdles the guy and then chases down Cunningham. That was the sort of play that was like, uh, I don't think Middle Tennessee has too many guys that can do that. And, like, the one guy that sort of killed for them was, was it For- Ferguson? It was, like, Jordan Ferguson or whatever. They're big defensive linemen. And, like, the one play that stood out from watching him is he got into sort of a shoving match with Zach Horton, a tight yeah. end who we'll get into at some point. And they're both going at it on this play that I was rewatching. And Ferguson takes like a big shove and like knocks his helmet off at the end of the play. And Horton didn't react. I thought they were going to get into like a fight and Ferguson like reached out and gave him a knuckle bump. And I was like, if you're like star defensive lineman is like respecting your tight end <laughs> for the battle they're going through. It's like not even offensive lineman he's going against. I was like, all right, they're, they're doing something right here when you're, listed as your second string tight end is taking on their all conference defensive end. And they're just, he's like giving him a knuckle bump as they get into this huge blocking battle. That, that was a moment that kind of stood out to me. Yeah, that was the defensive line itself was just mind boggling to me on how much pressure they were able to get. Like the secondary we've, we've talked at length about, the issues that the secondary has that they're inexperienced, everything like that. But when your pass rush is creating that type of environment for the opposing quarterback in the pocket, it really doesn't matter who you have back on your secondary because the defensive line is going to get in the head of the quarterback so much. And I mean, whether it was Abi Nwab, Nwabaku Akonji or it was Jamri Chroma, and I had to pick the two hardest names right off the jump to list them out, but I mean, Ukwu, uh, Carpenter, all of these guys had absolute phenomenal performances. And each one just like did something really impressive um, throughout the game. And they made the the linebackers look great. We'll get into Jalen Walker in a little bit who led the team in tackles. And it covered up a lot of the issues that the secondary had. And I'm not trying to come at the secondary in any way when I say that. I'm just saying it as like, there were there were questions about the secondary. I think after week one, they will they will get a lot better because, like you said, Surratt is really good. Swan was impressive. Austin, the true freshman, was mm-hmm. really good with a lot of speed. Um, so I think they will come together and get better each week. But as long as the defensive line is playing so well, um, I don't know if it necessarily matters. As Frank makes his his opinion now <laughs> on the secondary as well. Shout out to dogs. Yeah, I uh, I was impressed with the defense in general. I thought they were better than I thought they were going to be. So they they played really well. Uh, I think that's a good sign. Do we want to hit any more player shout outs? Are there any, any names that I think we hit a bunch of them? Yeah, we hit a bunch of them. But just real quick, I think we need to go through a few of them. Um, Todd Centeno, historic debut. I think everyone talked about that one at length. What did you take away from Todd's performance? He's kind of like what we hoped he would be we <laughs> talked about like the the speed and the mobility and then uh the arm strength and the ability to be more efficient this year than he was at colorado state 
he's nine touchdowns away from matching his passing touchdown total last year, and he's got <laughs> 10 games to do it. So I like his chances after throwing six in the first one. He was awesome, and he, he ran really well, especially later in the game. He had some early runs that were nice. But the one touchdown pass where he was like in the pocket, eluded a couple guys, kept his eyes downfield, and hit Thornton for like a 40-yard touchdown pass was unbelievably good and one that really stood out obviously because it was a deep touchdown pass but he made a couple moves in the pocket there and i felt like in the first quarter there were a couple times where he like didn't see anything was like all right i'm running where he seemed like kind of jittery early and nervous even though he's an older guy i think he tweeted today it was like his 24th birthday or something so he's an older guy but i think he was he's still a little nervous in the first game and had some of those week one jitters but as he settled down it felt like he was more willing to scramble but look to still throw the ball as opposed to just take off and run. I think there's like, there's like some Ben DiNucci there where I, I think he's probably going to have some mistakes this year where he scrambles and tries to make a play and it doesn't work out for him. But he's also someone that I like having those skill sets with this coaching staff more than I did with like the Mike Houston, Donnie Kirkpatrick coaching staff. So I feel like they're going to make him efficient, even though he seems like he could have some of that like gun slinging ability. Yeah. Signetti talked about it in his press conference where he was he loved coming into this season. He loved what he loved the most about Centeo was his experience. He's a six-year starter. Colorado State, I think he either finished or was about to finish his MBA, like all of that type of coach speak about experience. Um, but then he did mention how in the beginning, especially the first quarter, especially the first couple of drives, he ran when he had open guys. He missed open guys. Uh, but then he settled down and you saw him – absolutely tear apart that middle Tennessee defense, 287 yards. As you see on the screen, six touchdowns, uh, 64% completion percentage. Uh, can I make a really, really brash thing? Can I like say a really bold prediction that will probably bite me in the butt, but I'm go- like, can I say it? Yes. Based off of that performance, and I expect it to just maintain, if not get a little bit better throughout the season as he, gets more used to this offense and so on and so forth. Will he be the best quarterback since badly? I think he might. He's definitely got the skills to do some special things. When you say that he'll get better throughout the year, I assume you mean just in terms of how you view his performance. Yeah. I don't mean, sorry. I don't mean like statistically where every week he's going to add another touchdown. He's going to finish with like 15 touchdowns in a game by the end of the week. What I mean is like by, like he'll be more consistent in the pocket. He'll feel more, more safe, I guess. The, the O-line will get better. They'll pr- protect him better. He'll be more consistent. He'll be more accurate. He'll hit the, he'll hit the, he'll hit the passes he missed and he'll be able to kind of be better if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm excited to watch him play the rest of the season. I think it's the, the, what maybe the biggest takeaway for me from this entire game is like I had, I don't want to say it was like pessimism, but I had like, um, I had some questions and doubts about this season. Like I was like, I'm very excited that Jamie's in the Sun Belt. I'm excited yeah. the schedule is cool, but like they might win four games. And after watching that game, I'm much closer to thinking they're going to win like nine games. Like I, I, I know that you shouldn't like, and we'll talk about this later, shouldn't totally put all this stock into one game. But there's this idea over the whole offseason that was like, oh, it's hard to transfer to the FBS. It's hard to, you know, make that switch. It didn't feel that hard. Like that felt like an FCS game. They killed them. Like they were significantly yeah. better than them every single drive. Like there was no worry at any point during that game that they were going to lose. 
there was no worry really at any point that it was going to be like within a couple scores. Like the, the longer it went on, the more it was like, oh, they're just way better than them at like every position. So I don't know. I just, it's one that like I watched it and all of the doubts that I had that like, oh, it could be hard. And they're going to have some growing pains turned into like, they're probably going to lose some games because like the Sunbelt East is hard. There should not be a game the rest of the season that JMU isn't competitive in. Like Kurt Signetti talked about not being down multiple scores. Like this team is good enough to not lose a game by double digits, in my opinion. doesn't mean they, they won't, but like I think the talent on both sides, if they're reasonably healthy, especially a quarterback, they should have a chance in every game. Yeah, I agree. And you know what backs up that thought? This guy. Well, a little graphic action here as we are live streaming for the first time. We're able to bring in um, outside statistics, outside graphics. Who? This is from a really good guy on Twitter who has a lot of stats. You know his at name? It's like Stats O War or something. Yeah, I think that's it. But yeah, it's stats essentially what the letter O War. And essentially what this graphic is saying is JMU was the fourth most dominant team this weekend. Yeah, it's a net success rate, which I assume just meshes offense and defense in terms of like each play, basically. Um, and yeah, they were they're up there with like an Alabama blowout over Utah State. Mississippi State was really good against Memphis and Minnesota. I think that's New Mexico State that they dominated. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically anyone who had a blowout <laughs> looked really good. Um, and Jamie's up there with some pretty big names as kind of an elite level performance. Yeah, sure. They're um, awesome. I guess that brings us to our next point on this game. And you kind of, <laughs> you kind of sample a little bit, think nine games. What are, what are the expectations now moving forward after dominating at such a high level? I don't think they'll actually win nine games. I just feel like it's closer to that. You than said like it four. though. You said it. I That's true. I, I just feel <laughs> like they're very good. And I, I also think yeah. we need to like, at the same time, you kind of have to pump the brakes. Cause like some Jamie fans, I think we're getting like way too far on the other side where it was like, which week, which week is game day coming to campus or like a neighboring campus. Like probably none of them. Um, it doesn't like mean that they're this unstoppable force or anything like that, but they are a, a good football team that's playing really well. So they have some positives there and the schedule is very hard, but it's also not like impossible. Like I think app state has legitimate defensive issues, which you saw when they gave up. Oh, I don't know. 63 points yeah. to North Carolina. Like they scored 61, including 40 in the fourth quarter. Cause Carolina also stinks on defense, but app state gave up a gazillion points in their bowl game. They just gave up a bunch of points. Like Norfolk State's obviously a win. Uh, Texas State, I think they got blown out by Nevada, like blown out by a really bad Nevada team. It was like 42 to 14. Um, so they're not good, and it's at home. That's essentially like a cupcake. So you've got – they should at least be 3-1 and one after those, even if they lose to Appalachian State. I think they could be competitive. Arkansas yeah. State's like a 50-point underdog. It's not actually that far. It's like 44 against Ohio State. Like, they're fine. They're whatever. They're not, like, great. So neither of those West teams are that scary. Georgia Southern's going to get blown out by Nebraska probably this weekend. They're fine, but they're also transitioning from a triple option, which worked really well in week one. Um, I think they're playing like an FCS team, though. Uh, you got Marshall, which I do think Marshall's a pretty good team, so that will be tough. But again, at home, where Jamie's been fantastic over the years, that game is winnable. Louisville yeah. got 
Louisville got trashed by Syracuse. 31 to 7 by Syracuse, Jack. Syracuse. They suck at football. Like they're known for being bad at football. They added some uh, some UVA coaches who I'm pretty high on. So that's pretty cool. Good group of people there. Their offense might be better. Their running back's weak, but like Syracuse is not supposed to be good. Isn't so maybe Louisville, maybe Louisville with Malik Cunningham too? Yeah, he didn't do anything. His stats were uh were not great. He was like 16 to 22 or something. Isn't he he a, a couple of picks. He's supposed to be like an NFL caliber, like top five QB, right? He's very good. I, I worry the program is maybe slightly a dumpster fire. So I don't know. Maybe they'll turn things around, but that game is like way less scary than it was. ODU, we can get into, I think Preston had this question. We can get into Preston Adams' question now, which was um, ODU, Virginia Tech, and if ODU is actually good or if Virginia Tech is that bad. ODU won 20 to 17 in like a nail biter, even though Virginia Tech turned the ball over five times. So I think Virginia Tech kind of sucks and ODU is not actually that good, but I think Virginia Tech sucks. So anyway, that game I don't think is impossible to win. And then Georgia State actually thinks to be pretty good, and, and Coastal's look pretty solid in the early going. So it's not, you know, there's not like a bunch of gimme games on here, but there also are games where like a week ago, I thought they might lose by like 10 plus, and now I'm like, oh, they could win that game. Okay. I was impressed. I, I'm still I'm still thinking this team's around a five-win team. Like the Middle Tennessee that win made me feel really good, but still looking at the schedule, you're like, okay, so probably going to be four and one going into like that gauntlet and still looking at it. Like it's still an ACC school on the road. You're still going to have to either beat Marshall or coastal or who's the other team, Georgia state ODU or the other two at the end, Georgia or ODU who just beat tech. Like, I think it's still going to be tough, but I feel a lot better about if I feel a lot better where the program's at, where I don't think they're going to get blown out by app anymore. I think they're going to be competitive against app state, but I think it's still going to be tough for them to pull out five or six, seven, eight wins type of thing. Cause I think they're going to be an underdog in most of the games they play for the rest of the season. I don't, I don't. Okay. I think they're going to be like, in, well, it depends on the games. I think some like app state, they're an underdog. I could, I could see them being favored though. In four of their next, five. I'll say this. I, I think they get their favorite in Texas state, Arkansas state. I think they should be favored against Georgia Southern. I don't think Georgia Southern is good. That's true. Okay. So they'll be favored in three. Do you think they're, I mean, they could, Marshall, they could be Oden? five and one. If they're five and one going into that homecoming game, that place is going to be bananas. That's that's true. Do you think they get a, a look for a bowl game and people just push across that they're transitioning period or what do you think the expectations are on that? I think uh yeah, I think they should be letting the college football playoff. And if you're Jeff Bourne and you haven't, you know, reached out about that uh to someone, then you're obviously, you know, not doing your job. Exactly. But yeah, I mean at the same time, that was a really fun win, but in all seriousness, I don't think it, it, let me say it like this. The national spotlight is on us because we're the bright, new, shiny toy. It's not yes, because we're the best neck. We're not the best. Ala- we're not the next Alabama. I could not get that sentence out. Like, 
the reason there's so much spotlight and national coverage on us is because Santeo and Thornton just went off while everyone was focused on us in three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, when the college football playoff picture is coming into uh, more focus and they release the college football playoff rankings and we're not even eligible for a bowl game. I would not be surprised if the entire college football nation forgets who Todd Santeo and Chris Thornton is. See, this that was is such a, that was an aggressive. No, no, it's such a finish that. No, because it's such a like realistically, the expectations for the entire season should not change. Like it's still probably gonna, you would think, yeah. would still end up being a similar result. I think my thing is like, I think that people they would still be the new shiny thing in six weeks. That's what excites me. It's like Norfolk State, they're okay. going to win by a gazillion. And then they have a bye week. So we're talking like late September for the app game. So we have 17 more days of like ridiculous hype that the fan base is going to go through, right? Because they're not losing to Norfolk State. So they have 17 more days from today of just this nonsensical hype where we're talking about Centeo, like as a Heisman candidate. And we're talking about all this stuff and how great they are. That's That's definitely going to happen. And then if they're competitive in the app game, like if they win the app game, I think it's going to go insane. Okay, but even if they win the app com- game, everything I just said is completely wrong. But if even if they lose that game, the fact that now we're talking like if they win is why the, the first win was so fun because they were so dominant that now it's like we're going to beat app on the road, which is not, not all that realistic, <laughs> but would obviously be very cool. But then Texas State, Arkansas State, Georgia Southern, I think you're getting – I mean you could – you could get all three, but maybe you get two of those three. I the thing is, I just think they're better now. I think they're better than those three teams. I think they should win all three of those games. Doesn't mean they will, right? Because this is the same thing that happened in the first Danucci year, where it's like if they play their best every week, and then they played way less than their best. And even last year at times, it was like if they play their best, then they like couldn't score for weeks on end in the red zone, couldn't score touchdowns. That is. So I, I don't know. I mean, obviously you, you shouldn't freak out too much over one game, but it has me on the verge of like unrealistic excitement, which is fun. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm sending out a tweet to, uh, you know, just a casual promotion tweet about this live stream as we're hitting it. But yeah, you, you hit all, all good points. You did put in our outline third wide receiver question mark. Who do you think? Yeah. Like it's, it's, Can it's I- Chris Thornton, number one, Reggie Brown, number two. And then if we want to pull up the stats from this last week, we can break it down a little bit further. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. So kind of going off the third wide receiver and everything else, I feel like we got to do like a good cop, bad cop thing. Can you tell some people to calm down at least? Cause I feel like there's even myself, like there's a very good chance. Middle Tennessee sucks. Am right? I, the, so like, am I the voice? Okay. I'll take this down real quick. as it's just like right in the middle of our faces. <laughs> you want me to be a voice of reason. Do you want me to like throw cold water on the fire or, or on the? On yeah, the I think I think you have like, to a little bit because there's a. Am I the? Am I normally? I'm you. Normally, I'm the yeah. one that's like this team's going to win every game, and you're like, I don't like with men's basketball. I'm always national championship here we come, and you throw the cold water on me and make me feel sad. Is that my role right now? Is have the roles I think reversed? It is. I think it is. Man, yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Middle Tennessee, I did the deep dive on the stats. They weren't good. They lost a lot of production on the defensive side and didn't replace it 
with like the level of talent JMU did because JMU lost over 50% of production in their defense, but they replace it with, you know, really good athletes or people that have been in the program for a year or two. I mean, Middle Tennessee lost Reed Blankenship, who's in the NFL now, Gregory Gatt, who's a really solid player, and a few others. Their only good player was Ferguson, if we're being honest. Chase Cunningham showed flashes, but he showed flashes against Charlotte, um, against bottom feeder CUSA teams, which, like, if you put me in at quarterback, I would probably, like, look competent as a thrower of the football. So Middle Tennessee might not be good. With that being said, the defense showed a lot of life, a lot of, you know, resolve, like every, every adjective you want to say, will they beat App State? Probably not. Will yes. they be competitive <laughs> against an App State defense that just allowed like 70 million points against UNC? And is UNC, are we hyperinflating UNC? Yeah, UNC is not good this season. Um, App State, I don't think will be as good as they have been in the past. But with all that being said, don't expect more than five wins because you're setting yourself up for failure. This is a transition year. The linebackers are still thin. The secondary is still young. And the defensive line will go up against an App State offensive line that's actually good. And the secondary will get tested. This is fair. This is fair. That's how I was thinking earlier earlier in the week, right? And I was like, all right, you got to stay reasonable. You got to you know, know that it's just one game. Then I went back and watched it and I was like, you know, that's such a such a sad way to have to be a fan, even though it's like probably the smart thinking. You know, it's like I want to go on Twitter and I want to yell at UVA fans, Virginia Tech fans and be like, we're better at football than you. Well, and I want to do that, that all year question. long. That wasn't the question. Are we better than Tech and UVA? Of course if, we are. If we win five games in the Sun Belt, we're not better than Tech and UVA. But as of right now, right this instance, who's 1-0 and and who's 0-1? Well, UVA is 1-0. But they're they're a dog against Illinois. Who's who's one and zero against FBS competition? That's there you go. ODU and us, and William and Mary. <laughs> <laughs> so all the juggernaut Liberty too, all all the the monsters in the state. But no, it's like I don't know. I'm just I'm cautiously optimistic. I will say the thing that's going to make us excited is that they're going to have Norfolk state and then a buy and then app state. So it's like 17 days of like, they haven't played app state and taken a loss yet. The other thing that the same thing concerns me is like Appalachian state will have played this thriller with North Carolina. They're going to Texas A&M this weekend. And then they play Troy. So like they're going to be way more tested for that game. Yeah. Like they're going to know some stuff about their team where I think JMU has a lot of things it does not know because it didn't really play a single snap under pressure. And it probably won't until the Appalachian State game. 100%. I love all of that. Um, do you want to move to Norfolk? Let me do the quick third wide receiver thing, if I may. My okay, other concern. Please. Also, did I write Norfolk, Tennessee on you the You did. Out- you did. So <laughs> I put a little. Norfolk. Uh... <laughs> But okay. um, third wide receiver hit me. Chris Thornton was sweet. We haven't given him enough yep. credit yet. He was unbelievable. What was it? 11 catches for a hundred something, something and three touchdowns. And then you know, Reggie Brown. I ask think... me that question one more time. What was, what was Chris Thornton? Yeah. What were his, his stats? Oh, Boom. <laughs> 11 <laughs> catches, 145 yards, three touchdowns. They kind of missed him on a couple where he could add more. He was just not someone they were capable of covering even a little bit. 
There was one play early in the game where Santeo threw it and he threw it directly in front of a safety throw. I don't know if you remember this one, but he was showing a lot of trust in Thornton here. The safety just like kept drifting back. Thornton comes in front and snags it with his hands and like rips it away. And the safety was like beating himself up after the play. Pretty incredible. That he, he basically yeah. threw it directly to a safety who if Thornton doesn't come yeah. in and grab it, intercepts it. And this guy made no effort to get the ball. And Thornton went in and like snagged it and, and ran away with it. So he was a killer. Reggie Brown was sweet. Nobody else caught the football, really. Ravenel had two for 15 and a touchdown. The touchdown was late in the fourth. Um, Terrence Green had one catch for 10 yards. A couple of running backs got involved. But like, I don't know. It's like a wide receiver three is probably a good thing at some point, especially when you yeah. like play a good team and they they can put a few more bodies maybe over on Thornton's side. Can I push back on that though? Yeah. Did they need a wide receiver three in that game? Like you were probably killing not. with Thornton. Yeah. Probably not. And they probably didn't need a wide receiver three all of last season. It would just be fun to see someone step up. They probably, I think Ravenel is actually a guy who could step in, even Terrence Green. So they, they think they have them, which is a fair point. Yeah. But it was, it was fascinating to watch the game back and just be like, oh, they just said we're going to run the ball or we're going to throw it to Chris Thornton and Reggie Brown every single play. Middle Tennessee was like, well, we've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fun while it lasted, guys. Good job. Yeah, we did our, we did our best. If only we had seen this Thornton guy on film. But then, uh, um. Yeah. Should we break down Norfolk, Norfolk State? State? As Kurt Signetti says, there's a test every week, Jack. I do they win by 70 or do they win by 60? This test is like coloring inside the lines and the, the picture is just like a giant circle. It seems like a fairly easy test. You know? They're not good. No. Sorry, so my internet's being a little wonky, so I, I might that's be cutting okay. in and out. But yeah, they're not good. They're not good. They played Marshall and lost 55-3. to So I think the only possibly entertaining thing is, you know, I don't know if it's technically the transitive property. I think I said it was the newsletter we got in the outline. But it's, um, you know, just comparing essentially to how badly Marshall beat them. That's literally the only thing that excites me about this. It just, I wouldn't say it excites me. I'm actually, it's, it's, I think our friend Dom brought it up about how trash the beginning of this schedule is. Like, you get so <laughs> excited after Middle Tennessee, and then you go into Norfolk State, and then from there you're in a bye. Like, we're so high off of Middle Tennessee, we're not going to give a two craps about Norfolk State, and then you're telling me we have to wait for a bye, and then it's App State. Like, this probably works out better for the team. But as a yeah. fan, I wish we were still building. Like, wish this was a crescendo, not just like a staccato. Yeah, I guess on the the positive side, it could be a very very fun end of fall if they're like as good as we think they might be. Could be cool. It could also be really sad. I'm not trying to. No, throw that's true. It could be devastating. Yeah, but like they could be in all seriousness five and one and not win another game. Or they can go ten and ten and one. I mean, if they're ten and one, I think they'd beat App State. <laughs> like, if they're that the elite, I can see that being their loss. Are, you win out. It is a tough game. Like, 
outside of it being App State, like it's in Boone and it's the first home game. Or do they play at Troy or home Troy? They hosted UNC and then they host Troy. So it'll be the third home game, but it is already sold out. So <laughs> it'll be. that's, that's going to be the biggest stadium JMU's played in in a lot, like a stadium that cares about the game in a long time. Because yeah, Jay played at West Virginia, they played NC State. You're telling me those fans cared about that game? Just complete North Dakota State, Just throwing them aside. No love for the Bison. Dumb, 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 dumb. No, how did I forget that? I'm so I sorry. I kind of like that though because we have officially announced ourselves as anti-FCS on this podcast now. <laughs> We're we, don't even, we, we disregard anything FCS. <laughs> we don't even remember that game. It was basically a scrimmage for Jamie. They didn't care. They weren't up for it because it was the FCS level. Yeah, that's why we throw a pick on the two-yard line against North Dakota State in the that's final minutes again. Um, yeah, is there anything? I didn't even bother doing a stat breakdown because we're going to – we have stats, like advanced stats we pull from like SP+, Plus, the ESPN FPI, yeah. things like that for all of our FBS teams. I didn't even bother doing one for Norfolk State. You know why? Because the stats aren't there. FBS doesn't have stats. Norfolk State's not good. Yeah. I think SP Plus, they do like their little projected margins. I want to say Bill Connolly over at ESPN had uh, JMU, and I think this is similar to like the lines. It's anywhere between like 35 points and 40 points. So they're favored by like five-ish touchdowns, which makes sense. Although I think they should be favored by more. <laughs> I think that's a little probably a little time. Low. Let me look but, up the history. They played Norfolk State twice, and the two results it was a 75 to 14 win in 2017, and then a 17 under a 17 to zero win that was canceled in like was it, what was it second quarter maybe because of thunder or I guess lightning. It wasn't because of thunder. They just heard yeah. rumbles and they're like, get out of here. With the Can't announcers, the, the amazing announcers that they had. Yeah, um, good. Also worth noting, Snetty brought this up in his Tuesday press conference. Norfolk State only had seven returners. Their quarterback's new. They have some size on the offensive line, but, like, it's not a great offensive line. I think their running back was all conference last season or, like, newcomer of the year, something along those lines. But, I mean, at the end of the day, they have seven returners from last year. So they lost a lot. A lot of newness on that team. A lot of inexperience. Um, JMU was the better team when they were in the FCS. JMU is going to be the better team in this game, in the FBS. I don't think there's too much outside of what we just said to break down this game any further. No, you hope everybody stays healthy. And uh, I think they should give them some good run, though. You know, like I think game reps, even against Norfolk State, are probably valuable given what App yeah. State will have in terms of reps playing North Carolina and Texas A&M and a conference foe. I think if you yeah. can keep Santeo and company like very, very confident going into the bye, that'll be a good thing. Yeah, 100%. Um, around the Sun Belt, quick around the Sun Belt, it was a nice little week for Sun Belt teams, whether it was them uh, taking down Virginia Tech or it was a close loss against UNC. Anything else notable? Do you want to break down what you saw around the Sun Belt, or uh, is that just a quick little recap suffice? I think that's good. App State, I feel like, sort of whiffed on one. Not totally. They played fine, but, like, they were up 21-7 early, and then they gave up a 
a sizable deficit. And then they scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. Really just insane. But that's one. I thought they could have gotten that one against North Carolina. So that's a little disappointing. Texas State getting blown out by Nevada is a weird one. Uh, Coastal did pick up a nice win over Army, which I think was was solid. But I, one thing I will say, I feel like JMU fans are super attached to like what the Sun Belt is doing, which is fair. But sometimes we're we're reading too much into these results, where it's like Coastal beat Army. That's a that's a good one for perception. That that nah, doesn't really mean anything for perception. Like I don't think anyone at the national level is like I respect the Sun Belt now and they're essentially the P six because Coastal defeated. Army, <laughs> like our armed forces. Like I don't think that's one that um is actually going to change much. South uh, Georgia State was another one that like had a legit shot at South Carolina, and kind of not necessarily choked, but they gave up two blocked punts for a touchdown in a game. Two. That's bad. I want to do. It's really bad. Yeah. Nope. So they they lost by twenty one. But they do host North Carolina this week in a game I actually think will be interesting. Uh, and since we're on the South Carolina topic, Antoine Wells, seven catches for 55 yards in his South Carolina debut. So he leaves the team in receptions. Spencer Rattler also had some rave reviews about Antoine Wells as well, saying we need to get him the ball yeah. more. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Also, funny to think of the fact that they were in the FCS level with Antoine Wells and Chris Thornton after what they both did this weekend <laughs> like that's just a stupid duo <laughs> <laughs> and we were asking for a wide receiver three last season they didn't even need a wide receiver two but they had one. yeah they were loaded loaded um this is actually a really good topic real quick power fives traveling to group of five teams some talk on twitter about how power fives shouldn't do it um it's bad for them and I think it throws out the entire thought process or the entire thinking towards this is great for group of fives. This is great for local rivalries. This is great for all things like that. While it might not enhance a power five overall resume, at the same time, if UNC, who's not a playoff team by any stretch of the imagination, if UNC went to Boone or I mean they went to Boone and they picked up a tough road win, that helps a majority of power fives resumes. It was interesting because it was mostly geared at the ACC because there's this idea that the ACC can still somehow catch up to the Big Ten and SEC, which is just remarkably dumb. Um, but anyway, that's an idea that like is still out there, I guess. Shane Metlin made a really good point. He tweeted that like it's not always financially doable for some of those ACC teams like to schedule, like to just buy G5 teams at home. So you can do a two for one where you have two home against the you know Sunbelt team and then you have one on the road. Um, some of it in North Carolina, I believe the state politicians either strongly encouraged and or mandated some of these games like um, NC State at ECU. So there was like state politics playing a role, which is sweet. Um, it'd be kind of <laughs> funny if Virginia, if Virginia politicians did a similar thing. Uh, but like Virginia Tech going to ODU, there's this idea that like they shouldn't do that because they need to save face for the conference. Just don't suck at football. Like don't throw four interceptions and give away a fumble and play horribly. And then you wouldn't have any perception issues. People are, someone who was in my reply is like, oh, I don't know about this. Cause like people give Alabama credit for beating cupcakes. No, they give Alabama credit because they're better than everyone else. And like every player on their team is an NFL draft pick. 
And they don't it's just so beat cupcakes. They demolish cupcakes. Like, it's like UNC had the opportunity to demolish App State, but UNC didn't demolish App State. They were in a close one. And you know what that means? UNC is not a college football playoff team. Alabama is. Because if Alabama played App State, they would have won by 40. But but they shouldn't go there. It's like, well, maybe their defense shouldn't allow 40 points in a quarter if you want national perception to respect you. There's this, like, idea that you can just, like, wiggle your way into perception. And it's like, no, like, Alabama and Georgia are better than everyone. It's not because of talking heads on ESPN. Georgia beat Oregon by, like, 50. Like, who in the ACC is doing that? Is it North Carolina? No. I, it's not Clemson. No one's doing it because they the league's not that good. They're like the the middle of the ACC and borderline sometimes the top is at, on par with like the top of the Sun Belt. Like I feel like that's what we learned. North Carolina is a middling ACC team and they were in a battle with Appalachian State because the teams are equally good at football. Like that's yes. like ODU I think is worse than Virginia Tech and just got some fortunate turnover luck. But like Virginia Tech, play better if you want that to not be the result. Like just just play better. South Carolina beat Georgia State. It was at South Carolina, sure. But like they won the game. And they blocked two punts and won the game. They did what they needed to do to win. Like you can come yeah. up with all these excuses of like, well, the ACC needs to get up with the SEC. The way to do that is not to not schedule road games at G5s. It's to be better at football. I don't know. It's, it was really annoying. And it was also just like this weird felt like kind of condescending thing where it's like, why would the ACC even consider playing some trash like Appalachian state? It's like, cause Appalachian state's like an equally good team. Why would NC state go to East Carolina? It's like, I mean, they should have lost because they're not that much better than it. Like NC state's not a playoff team. Like ACC network people will probably tell you, on some shows like throughout the season, if NC state keeps winning that NC state is like a playoff contender and it's a lie. Don't believe them. Cause it's stupid. Like if anyone is, it's Clemson. It's just so annoying. Like the, the stuff where it's like, Oh, you can't schedule them. You shouldn't schedule them because we're above them. It's like, I don't think you understand when like the power leagues form, you will be more on par. If you're North Carolina football with Appalachian state, than you will be with Ohio state. Like, it's already the case. You're not competing with them because you're not good. These soapboxes are some of my favorite things in the world. It's just irritating, you know? It's also fun, like, for all the people in the region. Yeah. It's also fun for the kids at App State and ECU who get to go to this game. Like, if – there was FCS, so it never would have happened. But, like, say JMU was FBS when we were there, and Tech came into town. Right. That would be so fun. And I think people just miss the, the human aspect of Thank sports you. too. Like not only does this help the students, this helps the local economy. This gets everyone up. It breathes fresh air into these programs. And then not to mention these kids played each other in high school. Like there's that rivalry too. Or like they knew each other growing up. They played on the same peewee teams. Like there's so much to it where people are like, this is below us. No, it'd be below you, Joe Schmo, who works for the national media, but it's not below every local person in that area. Like, it's just such 
an insane take that doesn't take in like the world. It's such an insulated take of like, well, if we want to be the best, we have to play the best. Yeah, but Alabama doesn't want to go to UNC because you think you're so great that you're only scheduling a home and home. Like UCF couldn't even get home and homes when they were at the pinnacle of their, their quote unquote domination. Like if you think you're the best, you like the best don't think you're the best. You got to play who you can play and make it fun. Why do you like college football? There's a question I'll ask you. I love it for like what it's just fun, mate. Like it's the students, the pageantry, the, the, the coaches, the, like everything about it is fun. Yeah. That's a terrible answer. No, that's a good answer. It's like, it's, it's awesome. The fans are incredible, right? It's like the atmospheres are so different than you get at like an NFL game, which are still some pretty good atmospheres, but it's just like so unique to each town. Where I feel yes. like in NFL games, that's not always the case. Like maybe you'll see like weather with like Bills fans jumping on tables and stuff. But like the variety from town to town in college football is so cool. And like seeing Appalachian yeah. State cram 40,000 people into a stadium is awesome. And there's so many things on Twitter that are like, this is huge for the ACC's perception. Why do I care about the ACC's perception? Truly, why should like a, a Virginia Tech fan or a UVA fan? Why should they care about the ACC's perception? Like if the, if the conference goes or if the college football goes to a 12-team playoff, what it seems like it's going to do in 2026, and you have the top six highest-ranked conference champions get in the playoff, like you're going to have some sort of access even if the ACC isn't considered like the same as the Big Ten. It's just weird. It's like so you're supposed to care more about the ACC's overall perception than you are about like a really fun – Friday night game against a regional team where you might actually know other students who go to that school. So if I'm a 20 year old Virginia tech student with friends at ODU, I'm supposed to be like, Oh yeah, we, we shouldn't play you guys. And if we do, it's only at home because of our perception. So that maybe then we'll play Rutgers instead because of our perception. It's also hilarious. that Like it was coming from ACC people and the ACC has missed out on this whole conference realignment thing and it's being left in the dust, and there's a very strong chance the Big 12 is going to leapfrog the ACC as the Big 12 starts targeting West Coast Pac-12 teams to try and poach from them. Like The ACC is getting lapped. Your perception, no matter what you do, isn't good. If Clemson has a good year, they're going to the SEC, and you're left with nothing. So like, let's get that straight. The ACC isn't this national conference like it once was. So your perception can go out the door. And the final point that I'll make that that bothers me too is where it's like, oh, it's just not worth it for the Power 5 team. Well, it depends on who the Power 5 team is because like the more that we have analytics with like ESPN's FPI and obviously still the staggering ratings and all that stuff, but even like SP+, I feel like we're getting more and more like power rating systems created by like the major entities like ESPN that people are actually using to compare teams. So like when you yeah. look at that, the win at Appalachian State, if you're North Carolina, like at the end of the year, that's probably better than your road win, assuming they get it at Duke. Like, why would you play it? Well, it's better than some of your conference wins. Like, it's better than the home win against Georgia Tech will be. That's, that's, there is benefit to it, like in, in terms of obviously the regional it's, game. But then, like, the win at Appalachian State at the end of the season is probably a good win. It also, this might just sound redundant, and it's essentially what you just said, but 
just to flip it in its head. That win is also better than winning it at home. Like if you're so yeah. gung ho, we don't travel to G5s, like that wins better on the road than it would have been at home, as is any win. And if you're if your Carolina isn't like your your number one goal just to like win your division in the ACC and like because they're not making the playoff as we've talked about. So you'd think you want your team prepared to go and make a run at your division, the coastal and um, playing at Appalachian state. I'm going to be honest with you. That's a more hostile environment than playing at Virginia in November. So like, <laughs> I, I think that's like, it preps your team. Like there are actual benefits to it that I thought were kind of surprising that nobody was talking about. It's just like, Oh, they almost lost. So this was dumb. It's like, no, that's a very weird way to look at that. Yeah. Um, and last, but certainly not least, it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Sunbelt Weekly Pick'em. Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, and I don't think you do either, but... I did well. I know I did well. Show off. All right. But let's get to it this way. I, I can't open it. I want to be I want to be frank. I can't open the Sunbelt schedule right now. Of my I internet. have them up. I have so them I'm gonna up. I need you to do this for us. Do we, do we want to save Jamie up. to the end or we want to lead because their game is so bad? Let's lead with Jamie. Okay, Jamie, Norfolk State, Saturday, 4 o'clock on ESPN3, which is different than ESPN+. Plus. So uh, who you got? You need a cable subscription to watch this game. You need a cable subscription to watch JMU win this one 75-7. 75-7. I'll say they win it 59-10, to which I think is what I put in the newsletter and hopefully matches with, with what I said. Uh, but also, if you have, like, an internet thing, I believe YouTube TV is, like, a partner with them, which I have, and I would be able to get ESPN3. So it's, like, cable plus yes. those things as well. All right. Yeah. Arkansas State, Ohio State. Arkansas State, Ohio State. Give me the Buckeyes. Yeah, I will tell you on that. The spread right now is 44 and a half points. So, I would <laughs> oddsmakers like Ohio the Buckeyes. State. Yeah, I they're the Ohio favorite. State yeah. Even with yeah, the, yeah. yeah, of course they're the favorite. <laughs> Southern Miss plays at Miami. Southern Miss had a heartbreaking loss at Liberty. I thought they were going to win that one, end up losing in overtime. But they're playing out Miami. That's a big one. I'm going to go Miami. Um, I've got into Miami hype. I think with NIL and everything, they're going to be a national contender here soon. I like what Mario Cristobal did at Oregon. He beat Ohio State. People forget. They beat Oregon beat Ohio State at the beginning of last year. This year, Oregon got absolutely mollywopped in week one post Cristobal. Cristobal is going to do good things in Miami. It's going to start with it. will not start pick up the one this week yeah i think miami wins that game they're 25 point favorites we don't have a, a ton of like highly competitive games this week necessarily so miami that should be a pretty easy money line pick next up north carolina they're going on the road again stir the pot to a sunbelt team they're playing at georgia state shout out to unc for just like running through the sunbelt i'm going sorry i you're breaking in and out. My internet is really on its last leg here. I'm going to go Georgia State takes down UNC. UNC's defense is so bad. Dude, I love this pick. I'm also taking Georgia State. Seven and a half point underdogs. Hammer that spread. 
two blocked punts against South Carolina. I could not think of an easier thing to fix. It's like a week to fix punt protection. That's perfect. They can do that. They ran for 200 yards against South Carolina. They held South Carolina to 79 rushing yards. They picked off Spencer Rattler twice. So I love them in this one. I think Carolina is probably worse than uh, North Carolina is probably worse than South Carolina at the end of the day. So I think Georgia State at home as well. They upset the Tar Heels pick up this win and ACC fans are like, why would they go there? All right. Love it. We got another showdown. Yep. South Alabama at Central Michigan. Central Michigan is a five point favorite. Central Michigan. That's a good question. I think South Alabama could be fun this year. So I'm going to say South okay. Alabama goes goes on the road and picks up a win. That's All right. Next up. Marshall has a big showdown at Notre Dame. They're 20 okay. and a half point underdogs. I'm going to go with the Fighting Irish, and I think you are too. I will, although I don't know. I feel like they could yes, hang in do. this. Yeah, I was, I was not overly impressed um, by all of what Marshall did against Norfolk State. So I think Notre Dame played pretty well against Ohio State. They'll win that one. All right, Appalachian State on the road at Texas A&M, 19 and a half point dogs. Um, A&M with ease. A&M's a national title dark horse. People are talking about them. Jimbo Fisher's really good. Um, they're a really good program. App State just allowed 60 plus points against UNC. Give me A&M. Yeah, worried about App State's defense. I like A&M there as well. We got some snoozers the rest of the way, so I'll save I'll save a couple of the fun ones for the end. So, Gardner Webb, Coastal Carolina. Coastal. Yes, Coastal. Uh, Eastern Michigan at Louisiana. Eastern Louisiana. Michigan. Okay, Louisiana is an eleven and a half point favorite. Oh, I'll take Lu- Louisiana. I'll take <laughs> <laughs> I'll take Louisiana as well. Uh, Alabama A and M at Troy. Troy. Also taking Troy. Uh, Florida International. This game is so bad. Florida International against Texas State. Texas State, which just got smoked by Nevada, is a fourteen point favorite. Texas State's a favorite. Fourteen point favorite. I'm going to go FIU with the Fighting Gunner Holmbergs. Is that where he went? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm taking Texas State. If, if oh, Vegas says wow. they're a 14-point favorite, given how bad they are, <laughs> I will gladly take them. All right. Uh, Georgia Southern. Clay Helton in the Fighting Georgia Southern boys. Go to uh, go to Nebraska. Kind of a crappy Nebraska team, but they are 23.5-point dogs. So Nebraska, hear me out, lost week zero in Ireland, set themselves up for the ultimate trap game. I was all over North Dakota, like plus 35. Um, North Dakota didn't win, of course, but they covered that with ease. Nebraska looked lackluster. Give me Nebraska to win, but I'm taking the points. Not of Nebraska. I forgot who they're playing, so... Georgia Southern. Yeah, Nebraska looks like crap, but I'll take Nebraska to win. I don't I don't think they're... I don't know. Scott Frost, if they lose this game, is like immediately out of a job. So I'll say that they win. Yeah. And then we have Nichols versus UL Monroe. I'm going to go with the SCS upset here. No, That's I'm not. Horrible. Monroe. I'll take UL Monroe. What a horrible game. That's disgusting. Um, and last one that I've saved for us as a somewhat exciting game. I should have saved some of the others. 
Uh, but ODU is playing at East Carolina, Mike Houston. They should have beaten NC State, but they didn't have a competent kicker. So they lose that one. But ECU is a 12.5-point favorite over the Monarchs, who just beat Virginia Tech. I'm going to go East U because I think they're trending upwards. They had a really good showing against NC State. If it wasn't for the missed field goal, who knows, or missed extra point, I should say. Who knows how that game oh. finishes. Oh, yeah, that is a bad day for the kicker. I'm actually <laughs> interested to hear who you pick, though. I've got ECU, and I think ECU covers the 12 and a half. Like, I think they might kill them. Okay. You think so Virginia like that Tech's day. that bad, ODU's here, and ECU's here. I just... I don't think they can bank on five turnovers and it's on the road. I feel like it's a perfect storm, let down week. They're not going to force a bazillion turnovers. They're not actually that good. I still think they're decent and, and getting better, but they're not. I don't know. I like what Mike Houston's doing at ECU. I think they're actually pretty competitive. So I will Love take it. ECU, and that's that's everything for Sunbelt Pick'em. Perfect. Well, I think our first, um, first ever live stream of the Jamie Sports News podcast went off fairly well. Um, so a few internet problems on my end. We'll get those figured out. We'll be back next week. Much like punt protection, we know it's a simple fix for next week. There's nothing wrong with it. Any closing thoughts on uh, this week's matchup against Norfolk State or anything else you want to leave our listeners about Middle Tennessee? I just want to make sure we didn't miss any questions, but I don't believe that we did. Well, the Jamie Sports Blog guys asked why their internet, their, uh, their pod. I think it was more in jest, though. Yeah, I don't know if they need a serious answer for their audio problems, but uh, hey, we're having some internet issues. So, you know, if you're a JMU related podcast, you obviously have some tech difficulty. Yeah. Well, for Ben and Colin, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. We hope you guys enjoyed the first edition of the JMU Sports News podcast. Going along the bottom is all the things happening at Three Knocks. They are a proud sponsor of this podcast, along with Bet Online. Promo code Believe50, Believe50, check that out. And also check us out on Patreon, JMU Sports News. Next week we'll be on Twitter, YouTube, live streaming, same time, same place. See ya! listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube